Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Google Maps, it's beautiful that they go to the globe. It's it's just mm-hmm. very intuitive. And overall, I think in, in general terms, it helps to look at a globe occasionally, just to understand that the world is interconnected. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royfield, who is 43 degrees, 22, 19 degrees north and 43, no, get that wrong. 79 degrees, 43, 29 degrees west, which means I'm in the snowy climbs that is Canada. Now, today I'm joined by the person without which there probably wouldn't even be a Map Corner podcast. It's the Western Hemisphere's most organised woman. It's Claire Asprey. Where are you today, Claire? Hi, Ryfield. I'm in uh, ruralish Bedfordshire and I'm at latitude 52.1 and longitude minus 0.5. Ooh, look at you with all your coordinates. You said it much more confidently than I did. I had it written down. Props to you. I was trying to do it cut from memory and I tripped myself up about three times. Now, folks, Map Corner is the podcast that is dedicated to the love of maps and all things cartophilic. So if Peter's is your projection, you're in the right place. Now, Claire, I love a map. You love a map. Why do you love maps? I love maps because it was genetically programmed into me, my dad and his family are all kind of maps and itinerary people mm-hmm. and I inherited the whole map thing from the Asbury clan so I just love a map. Ah so it's within your DNA in your bone marrow. Indeed. Good. For me I think it's just staring at my great maiden aunt's globe when I was a little kid and seeing all the countries of the world in, in different kind of colours and shapes and wondering why is there a big straight line between Canada and America and why at that point was Pakistan split into two because I'm that old. So we will investigate our love of maps in preceding shows, but this show is all about you. It's about you having your questions about all things cartophilic, map-like, geography questions answered, and dare I say, posed 
So what you can do is quite simply go onto mapcorner.space, hit the little tab over on the right, which is red, and go and post a question. Now, Claire, we have some callers on this show, don't we? We do. Woo. Uh, who we got? We've got Ben Jacobs, who mm-hmm. is a real map expert and Proper wants to geek. talk to us about a historical map. Now, I've met Ben the once, right, and he looks like an Arctic explorer. Big, furry, fluffy, hardcore beard. He looks like Scott of the Antarctic. And we've got Ben and who else? We've got Kathleen Rowan-Jones with a beautiful mm-hmm. crafted globe who's going to talk to us about that. Barb, who has a question about Ordnance Survey Maps. And we have Alison, who have a couple of questions around paper maps, mainly. Cool. Now, what I think we should do, folks, is before we get onto the calls, we should introduce you to somebody who, at least if you're if you're part of the kind of Twitter universe and you love a map, you've probably retweeted one of his created maps at least once or twice in your Twitter lifetime. His name is Simon Kirstenmacher, and he absolutely is the online go-to person for that specialist map. Here's our little chat with him. Simon, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. First off, people that like maps are incredibly dull people. We're boring, we're nerds, we don't have any friends. So why is it that a young Simon was turned on to the world of cartography? Well, that's probably by professional training at first. So I'm a geographer by training from university mm-hmm. training. And then, yeah, but, but what led the young you to be even become uh, a The geographer? young me, there was a pure accident. In, in high school, I had to choose, in, in Germany, in my high school, I had to choose my major subject and all the subjects that I really wanted to take weren't available. So I just took geography out of the blue. I didn't have a real big passion for geography. But once I started actually looking at the subject, I fell in love with it and been a massive fan ever since. And then went on to uh, be at university for many years um, doing the academic geography. And then after this, slowly transitioned out of academic geography into the free market uh, where I work for a small firm called... Simon, Simon, we let you into a secret. If you keep saying geography, many casual listeners are going to fall asleep. So we have to sexy up the whole world of maps. So you're a data journalist. What exactly is that and how does that relate to the world of maps and mapping? I think the beautiful thing about maps is that it takes the fear away from data and it makes it very easy to look at tons of information in one simple, easy swoop. Usually when you Mm -hmm. look at data, they come as big, scary spreadsheets and people remember um, mathematics from school and they see spreadsheets and they're scared and you can if it's spatial data you can simplify it you can beautifully produce it into colorful nice maps and those maps can be humorous at times they don't always have to be very very serious even though they can be and they add this beautiful visual information to a big complicated history are maps and data journalism, and I mean this with the great respect because I'm a map head, but is it a way of basically dumbing down complex information, big splotches of colour, jaggy lines, bit of blue for the sea type of thing? Um, all of a sudden, you've got a concept, haven't you? Exactly. So the, the idea is not to dumb it down, but to simplify news and to simplify oh, okay. data. 
And you always, whenever any kind of um, cartographer always has an agenda probably or has at least a specific worldview. So they view the world through a certain kind of uh, lens or they at least ask a certain type of question in order to produce a map. So every kind of map, any kind of information anybody produces is in some sort of way biased. And then it's the art of a good cartographer, of a good data visualist to just minimize the information and to target the information just so it's nice and easy to look at and to quickly understand. And we talk um, in, in journalism, we say that you only have two or three seconds of the, of the reader before they give up on a graph, before they give up on a map. So you got to catch a person's interest quite quickly. And we see this on Twitter, which is, of course, my main medium. Um, you scroll through your timeline, you see so much stuff. So you, maps need to be um, precise. They need to be interesting. They need to just pop out and just catch your interest within a second or two. But, but Simon, isn't it true that every map fundamentally is a compromise and they're never actually really true are they so in the news relatively recently for us carter files is the fact that google have changed the way that they display their maps out goes mercator in comes the globe where do you stand with a little bit of mercator and the globe and google maps well in google maps it's beautiful that they go to the globe it's it's just mm -hmm. very intuitive and overall i think in, in general terms it helps to look at a globe occasionally just to understand that the world is interconnected. It's it's a very physical object, even though it's just digital on Google Maps, the globe. But that definitely helps. I'm not as much into the Mercator bashing, which is currently a bit uh -huh. of a, uh, a hip thing ever since but this West Wing episode came out. Um, because uh -huh. it's, a, it's a historically very interesting projection. It was very useful for any kind of seafaring purposes. So it's, it's, it's a great projection. There is, of course, a political bent to it because it shows Africa is tiny and Europe is relatively massive. So you can, I, I understand all the arguments against Mercator, but I'm actually not opposed to it because it's just, just a projection. So it's not inherently political. Do you think Vladimir Putin sat in the Kremlin and is really angry right now? It's like all of a sudden we reduced the size <laughs> and the power of Russia, haven't we? It's actually, it's actually correct. That's that's one of one of those. Um, it's just the world view that we are used to because most often we look at information on a two dimensional medium, the newspaper, your, mm. your digital screen, and therefore you use two dimensional map projections. And Russia would be the biggest loser um, if you look at different projections. So that's that's certainly true. And there is a political agenda. Uh, I'm certain Russia would love a Mercator projection just to show a bit more of this empire vibe in there. And you always have to take all those things into consideration when you when you pick a map. But quite commonly when we when we view world maps, we tend to choose a Mercator map because we want to draw attention to Europe. Because there usually you have a quite big European readership. And so you want to showcase the European countries. You want to make them visible. So it's more a it's more an artistic reason rather than a political reason why you choose a projection. And also, also it's a familiar projection, isn't it? We're all kind of used to it. Most certainly, it's, it's certainly the map projection that I think of first. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you are big on Twitter. How did you get into the platform, and how did you get so good at it? 
And do you walk around with a big crown on your head, walking around Melbourne saying, I'm the king of Twitter when it comes to maps? You must have loads of plaudits that come, come your way with being Twitter's go-to map person. So when did that all start? Well, so I started tweeting pretty much three years ago, almost three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it was just because I was working as whoa, a... Whoa, stop, stop, Simon. Yeah. You have how many followers on Twitter now? Uh, as of today, 133,000. Okay. I started on Twitter six, seven years ago. I have two and a half thousand. <laughs> well, I, it got a bit um, addictive after a while, um, just to okay. see the follower growth happening. And of course, I'm very, very heavy tweeter. You get, at the moment, I'm, I slowed down. At the moment, it's six new maps per day. At the height, it was 12 new maps a day, but that actually becomes a lot of work. So you can't keep this up with a day job on the side. That's interesting you say you have a day job on the side. So Twitter and cartography, you see actually as your thing. And then the day job is something which you do as an adjunct to that. And the beautiful thing is that I can't really tell them apart. So I work as a demographic speaker, journalist, um, public presenter, and uh, data analyst. So this is how the whole tweeting thing actually started, is that I always had a specific mm -hmm. kind of task while I was scrolling through the web, through tons of data, and through different databases. And just you look for one particular map, one particular data point, but you see so much interesting stuff left, right, and center. And you go, ah, maybe I find it interesting. Maybe I should share it with somebody. And then Twitter just came in mind. I had some dormant, dusty Twitter account lying around. And I thought, I'll just mm -hmm. start sharing them. And after a while, you see that this actually gets gets traction. And you do get a bit of a kick out of it. Um, when, when a map goes goes viral that you share, they're not by far not all are my own creation. Most of them, I'm just the curator, and that's uh -huh. kind of how I view myself: the curator of maps. I can I can produce maps myself as well, so I do have the the technical skills. But more than that, I'm a, I'm a connoisseur of a good map, and I'm a, I'm a curator, and I want to Ooh. just share I, this. Simon, I I like that you're a connoisseur of a good map, right? So. Give me a top three sexy maps. Oh, well, the number one map that always comes to mind are the first uh, Mapa Mundis, the big first original world oh, map. Okay. And then you go mm -hmm. through those maps and you just see how the world changed. This is literally how the world changed in just a couple of hundred years. And it's wonderful to see how all of a sudden a continent pops up. And just this imagination of how exciting that must have felt back in the day when you see wait a second, I think we got a new island here. We got a new continent there. And all those beautiful mm -hmm. stories of how you had imaginary mountains on maps for, for decades that weren't really there. There was the big Congo mountain line in the just smack in the center of Africa. There was apparently for a long time a Himalaya-sized mountain chain. And it just went, mm -hmm. it just arrived there on accident. There was a bit of a bit of a lie that, that made it appear there. But then because maps were copied around, this mountain range just appeared in one atlas after the next for, for decades. And until some sort of like French um, explorer guy went there and said, wait a second, walked through no, there. There's there was no mountains. No mountains, <laughs> I promise. And that's, that's the fascination where you see this history just really intertwined into a simple map. And that's, 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 oh, okay. I, I would always that, appreciate yeah. that as a good map. The evolution of how we've mapped the world is 
definitely something which is absolutely fascinating and something which I, one of the reasons why I fell in love with Muir's historical atlas as, as a child. So it wasn't just the development of the Holy Roman Empire and all these hundreds and hundreds of German states and statelets. It's also that in the, in the corner, in the right-hand corner, you saw the evolution of the mapping of the world and how that corresponded to the real world. And that was something which was always incredibly evocative for me. The way that the subtly the shape of Africa changed and, you know, at the start, there wasn't even a bottom to Africa because we only knew the Mediterranean. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were done more and more and more. You've got two more hits. You've got number one. You've got a map of Monday. Go. Give me two more. One of the most successful maps on, on, on Twitter was a very cute and simple one. It just showed a map of Europe and, and Northern Africa. And it showed one single dot for each lighthouse that was was there. And that's just a terribly cute little map. And, and you think, oh, that's nice. And of, and of course, you understand it. But you see all those little dots that are inland and they draw your attention. What are those inland lighthouses doing? And then you understand, of course, they're dangerous rivers and they're big lakes mm. that also need lighthouses. It's just a simple, a simple thing. So not every, every map needs to be driven by something very big and strong and scary or, well, I guess it's scary for the seafaring people that actually need a lighthouse. But that was fun. That, that's a fun type of map. And I'm just a World War II map comes to mind, just showing all the shipwrecks as well of, of World War II. And this is me being brought up with a German and therefore European view of, of the World War, Second World War. Mm -hmm. And then you see the whole Pacific theater. You see all those, the, the insane amount of shipwrecks in the Pacific theater, which I wasn't aware of because that was just not the focus of, um, of history as it was taught in German high school. So I just thought, ah, oh, that's, that's just one map that really then led to a bit of reading about the Pacific, Pacific theater. So that really changed and it just changes. It literally changes the way you view the world. Tell us one thing that people frequently get wrong, either about maps, mapping, or your role within the industry. Tell us one common misapprehension. One miscomprehension. Well, I guess the, what really bothers me at the moment is this politicization. It's this constant politicizing of, of everything. And even a harmless map projection like Mercator gets completely intermingled into this discourse of does everything need to be political? And projection is just a projection. Of course, there is a bit of a political background, but that's something you can't these days on Twitter post a Mercator map without people being angry about it. And so, you know, I get this outrage culture as well, which is, is surprising because otherwise the, the discourse under underneath all the, those tweets is incredibly civil and friendly. And I feared for, I feared for much worse once I realized that this actually um, is, is rather big and that millions and millions of people every month actually see and interact with those maps. So that was nice to see that the discourse is civil, but the thing that is guaranteed, you always get Mercator bashing. It has to be said that following you, the discourse is very civil. So, so props to you for having this quiet, reflective space on Twitter. Just to end up, are there any... Uh, books or kind of common practice or any kind of tips for the, say, the uninitiated, the people who, like you, like you and I, aren't quite into the world of maps? Is there a book? Is there something which you say, you say to a map newbie, somebody who says, isn't this all just a little bit dull? 
with something which will blow their skirt up, which will excite them about the wonderful world of cartography? What would it be? I had always two books that come to mind. One is Prisoners mm -hmm. of Geography by Tim Marshall. It's an absolute delight. It's just a book. It shows 10 maps, one at a time, and it tells the history of the United States based on the map of the United States. And it's, mm -hmm. it's an absolute delight to read. So I'm constantly forcing people to read this one. It makes me happy when people read it. And um, Judge, before you go on, Simon, I worked with Tim on about 10 podcasts in, in the last year. So no more promotion of Tim and his work, please. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I, <laughs> very good. I'll go to, and I didn't know that. So in case anybody uh, has been pushed too much into this direction, the other one would be On the Map by Simon Garfield. And this is probably mm -hmm. you need to be already um, evangelized into the love of maps to, to appreciate this one. But it just shows, it pokes you through the history of maps from all the way the first kind of cave mapping to today, Google Maps, uh, you at the center of the world, wherever you go, kind of digital mapping and how this changes our perception of ourselves and of the world. It's also an absolutely fantastic read that yeah, comes with my five stars, definitely five stars. And it's not about maps per se, but there are mm -hmm. tons of maps on there is um, the website Our World in Data. Uh, which is a beautiful way of looking at the world from a big picture, long-term historical perspective. And so we see economic rise and fall over three, four hundred years. And we see the decline in child deaths over three, four hundred years. It's a wonderful way of understanding that the world is actually getting better in the long run and that humanity is not as bad and as doomed as we sometimes are made to believe when we read the day-to-day uh, -day newspapers. So, Simon, you are the king of Twitter. So I have to ask you, where can people find you on Twitter? The Twitter handle is SimonGerman600. Or if you happen to speak German and you can type in Simon Küstenmacher, you can do that. But you're probably better off with SimonGerman600. Simon Kirsten Macker, thank you for coming on to Map Corner. Thank you for being our first guest and thank you for being the king of maps on Twitter. <laughs> thank you so much. Right. Now, uh, can you see me? I can see you've frozen you. for me. Exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm I can't see myself. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, you, you've frozen for me, but I'm going to show you something very quickly. One second. Awesome. I don't live here. This is my, I'm in my parents' place Yeah. in, in Birmingham, right? because I basically now live in, in San Francisco. I have two books in my room. This is the first book. <laughs> All right, that's the first book. Guess what the second book is? It must be Prisoners. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's a curse. I did tweet about this, on, I, think, I think on Christmas Day, but this... Uh, my reputation of being somebody who loves maps is preceding me because this is the fourth time now I've actually had been given the prisoners of geography. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I have to like give copies away now. So my daughter got one. I uh, think regifting re is okay in that, in that uh, context. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I'm on Burl Oak Drive, which... Um, is a rather straight road and it kind of sums up all the things that I think are slightly sad about political kind of human geography in North America because what Burlope Drive is is the line between Burlington the city of Burlington and another city in the Canadian province of Ontario Oakville hence Burlope so that's kind of quite clever they've join together the two names of uh, the two towns but it's the boundary between the two and and I suppose there's one reason why I love geography and maps it's because of human boundaries the, the lines that we draw between us and and how cities and countries and counties and provinces and states all have their own unique kind of shape but in in North America, lots of them don't. They're straight lines, and there's something about that which I think is incredibly sad. And, and of course, in Europe or in Africa or in Asia, political boundaries, whether they're on the municipal level or whether they're on a statewide level, are crazy kind of jigsaw puzzle type things. They go in and out and up and down. And, and there's also history behind that because maybe some old duke bought some land or conquered a bit of land from another potentate hundreds of years ago and then identities and communities were formed but in North America because when the white folks came they erased the all kind of trace politically of the Native Americans they could start with a blank sheet of paper and they could draw straight lines and that's what we have here so on my left is Burlington on my right I'm in the city of Oakville and it's a straight dashed line on a map 
what these two cities do have going for them is the fact that they have the Canadian Railway that goes through that goes through to the north of each of these towns and without that railway there probably wouldn't be a Canada it's the key thing which united this country for the act of confederation in the 1860s that those on the Pacific side says we'll join Canada this this newfangled thing that you want to create if you put a railway from east to west and it's the most potent symbol of Canadian nationality really well, I suppose you could say that's the Mounties or the Maple Leaf. But actually, in terms of knitting together a real functioning country, it's this railway. So I'm working up Burloak Drive to go and see this symbol of Canadian unity. So of course, as I said before, um, we need your feedback on Map Corner and we've had some calls. First off, top of the shop is Alison with a question which I'm somewhat intrigued about too. Hi, I had a question about London A to Z. I've still got my very dog-eared London A to Z, which I um, I still really love, but I never use because it's all it's all sat nav or Google Maps on the phone now. But I really I really used to enjoy using the A to Z, you know, particularly with the you know the more detailed Central London section at the back, and just working out routes um, on it. And I just wondered what's happened to um, A to Z. Uh, you know, are they still being produced? Is there, is there still a, a business there? Um, it'd be sad to think that they've gone. So just really interested in that. You know what? That is something which I actually spoke to my dad about. We had a conversation about this at one point last year because I was we're driving between Birmingham and, and London. I think that'd be a great topic for a future show, Claire. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, from a bit of research, we can see A to Z are doing all sorts these days. We're hoping to get them on a future show to tell us all about that. Now, Alison was somewhere in the UK, I'm guessing from her accent. Now we have Barb, who's in Canada. Hi, Royfield. This is Barb, a.k.a. Kelowna Girl on Twitter. I have a map question for you. So I'm wondering if you could explain what the numbers mean on ordnance survey maps. I know there's some Roman numerals for the actual map number, I think. And then there's other numbers afterwards. I'm specifically interested in old maps, like 1700s. When I'm researching my Scottish and British ancestors, I'll often find place names of where they lived, you know, on census forms and other records. If I look up those places, I can't always find them on current maps because they're not there anymore. So I'll go to a place like Scotland Places, which is a good website for finding old names of villages and towns. And they'll often have an ordnance survey reference points that tells me the exact location, but I don't really understand what all the numbers mean. So I'd appreciate some insight. Thanks. I'm guessing, Claire, that a, w- a woman with, with your big brain, you know exactly what all those numbers mean. Well, I think you're slightly overestimating my capacity for uh, knowing the absolute details. <laughs> I do love an ordnance. I'm just looking at an ordnance survey map that I have in my uh, office. I do love the detail on the really like close range one. This one is a is a slightly bigger scale, but to do, well, it's to do with location, isn't it? But and I'm pretty sure I learned it in geography at school. I've never had to do anything beyond a basic grid reference since then, so I can't really remember. But we will find out. People will endlessly tweet in because they will know more about it and they will tell us. 
Absolutely. That's what we want to encourage on Map Corner is a little bit of a dialogue. Now, I kind of have an idea of how it all works, but if you're more eminently qualified than me, which wouldn't be hard, why don't you call in and put Barb out of her misery, tell us exactly how it works, or clear. We just go straight to source, go straight to the um, Audits National Survey, and, and we go we and won't. ask them. Yeah, they're government employees, so in effect there are servants. They should pick up the phone to you to smart and answer any question of which we pose. So thank you for that, Bob. We will get that sorted for you in a future edition of Map Corner. Now here's Catherine Rowan-Jones. Hello, Map Corner. It's Catherine Rowan-Jones calling in from High Wycombe at 88 Ivy Fox on the Twitters. My uh, distinctive voice may strike a bell because I'm also a caller in a to Dumpty Dum, the other podcast that I listen to regularly, produced by the wonderful Royfield. Um, now, maps, I've long had a passion for maps. It's a childhood thing when I realised that the sheer compact conveyance of information of the diagram could be combined with artwork and then you have the map which combines the two the first map i fell in love with was the iconic um 1930s i believe map of the london underground system i'm sure that's a very popular map i'm calling in today to tell you about a map that i found on twitter and it's an embroidered globe made around 1815 in the United States by young female students. It's Indian ink and silk embroidery on a silk ground with a wooden core for the globe. And you can find it using the hashtag map corner, which I'm sure you use already. The advantage of making your own map is that you can learn and convey for yourself in a digestible tactile format of this is the information and look it can be pretty too two other map favorites are a three-dimensional wicker work map i sent to royfield long ago from the south seas and the map of mundi um, the medieval map in hereford which shows jerusalem as the center of the world the uh, convention then oh she cut off just as she's winding down. Just a note, folks, if you're going to ring in, you've only got two minutes on SpeakPipe. So time yourself, pace yourself with that in mind. She brought up quite a few interesting things there. Uh, first off, what's your favourite map? Ooh, now then. My new favourite map as of yesterday was mm. one I saw at the British Library. We went mm. on a family trip to the Anglo-Saxons exhibition and one of the things I liked most about their world map, which I've also tweeted to hashtag map corner, is the fact that it's sort of, well, sideways on, as we would think of it, uh, in the sense that east is at the top mm. and uh, west is at the bottom. And it was really interesting to look at how the known world looked a little bit like what we know it as now, but you, know, you could sort of see where they were coming from, but it was slightly different from what we think it is now. And what was important to like mark out, so mountains were very clearly there. Mountain ranges were a thing, and very, very large rivers were a thing. And other than that, they were the main geographical features uh, that people really cared about. And one of the things that really struck me 
at the exhibition was how even back in the kind of ninth and tenth centuries, there was this sort of international moving around of people where they were sharing ideas and books and so on between North Africa to Northumbria um, and across the Mediterranean where it was obviously easier to get around by water than land. Um, I mean, it feels like a heck of a long way to Northumbria for me and I'm living in 2019 (laughs) and I'm in Bedfordshire. But the idea of people in the ninth century going, you know, all the way from, you know, modern sort of I think it's more or less modern sort of Tunisia or something. And you think, mm. wow, well, that's such a that's such an amazing world view to have at that time in the world, really. So that was that was my new favourite. The map of Mundi is a bit of a perennial, isn't it? That people love that map and it was so influential. And you know, it launched a thousand other maps, dare I say it. The other thing which I really took out are Catherine's call is, and you kind of mentioned it as well, that the fact that our orientation of the world has changed, that North doesn't have to be up. You know, there's no reason for North to be up or for South to be down, but with that's the way that we see it now. But of course, in the Middle Ages, that Jerusalem was seen as the most important place in the world, at least in Christendom. Got to be careful there. So we're displaying our Western cultural bias, but Jerusalem was the most important place. And that was North, even though it was seen as the center of the world and all roads didn't lead to Rome, actually led to Jerusalem, so to speak. So that was the orientation. And with the uh, launch of the Age of Discovery in the 15th century, our orientation in terms of maps then kind of changed. And it's more traditional as we'd have it now with north being up and south being down and east being to the right and and west to the left so to speak but anyway um yeah and actually we've had a post on our facebook group from um ken mcdonald who just joined this afternoon and has got upside down maps on his wall yes and and actually there is and in the interview which uh we did with simon which preceded the calls He did kind of touch on this, that there's an episode of The West Wing where somebody comes in and says, right, we need to send out new maps to all the schools with the orientation turned the other way around because there's no reason for, as I said before, for north to be up and south to be down. And actually what it does do is it distorts the way that we look at the world and the developing world, you know, the you know, sub-Saharan Africa, South America, etc. in these land masses um, are, are much smaller. And, and that kind of plays into this whole notion of how we view the world and 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 why is it that we view the orientation of the planet the, the way that we do. Uh, but you mentioned Facebook. So why don't you tell folks, Claire, um, how they can join our Facebook group? Okay. Well, you search for Map Corner on Facebook and you make a request and then I'll let you in the group. That's <laughs> what's been happening. Uh, so as of, actually, just, I've just said a new one. So we, I think we've now got 85 members on the Facebook group, which is fantastic because we had literally like five a couple of days ago. So uh, people have been flooding in and will surely continue to do so. And only one of them is currently related to me. So it's not all just friends and family. <laughs> it's real people. And real people who get in and then immediately tend to send us pictures of their maps. Uh, so they're a very enthusiastic bunch, which is fantastic. You've got two options to post your maps to us. You can either go onto Twitter with a hashtag map corner, 
and go and post either myself or Claire a map and it goes onto the hashtag then map corner and we love getting them there or if you like Facebook you can go onto Facebook uh, sign up for the to become part of the map corner group and go and do literally the same thing on Twitter now we've got one other call and this person knows his onions when it comes to maps it's uh, Ben Jacobs who I believe is in New England in America Royfield, Anna, as a GIS professional myself, I thought you guys might want to start off by discussing the map created by Dr. Snow during the 1854 cholera outbreak. It's also known as the ghost map, and it revolutionized public health, helped prove germ theory, and saved thousands of lives. Uh, I didn't know your middle name was Anna, Claire. Uh, it's not. Uh, well, didn't think so. Ben, who's Anna? But anyway, um, <laughs> lo- lo- loved your question. Do you, do you know who the map is referring to? I, I do. do. I do, yes. Partly because uh, in my normal life, I am into housing and there is a massive overlap between the birth of uh, social housing and housing as a sort of thing and public health in the 19th mm. century in urban areas. And this is a big public health story from 19th century urban areas. So, uh, yeah, I am familiar with this one. I've seen at least two documentaries on on this map and the work that was kind of like put in, the painstaking research is walking backwards and forwards and collating all, all of the data as to uh, the people who, who got sick. Um, but we should try and do a show around that and mm-hmm. because it's absolutely a, a fascinating story to do with, as you said, the birth of kind of like public health, really, is it an understanding the mapping of how people went around doing their their, their daily life and the, the ramifications that actually had. Absolutely. And in fact, there's some really good examples of how, you know, Florence Nightingale didn't do maps per se, but the, they invented mm-hmm. the ways of statistically showing, uh, you know, causes of death and so on. That, that also had a big impact. And then the other people in Victorian cities, London especially, but also York, the work that was done in York around sort of mapping poverty, uh, was mm. incredibly influential. Oh God, there's an amazing map. And I forget the name of the, of the cartographer now, who walked around London for about 30 years from the late 19th century doing exactly that. And it's like an utter jigsaw puzzle. It's, it's an utterly beautiful thing. And he goes through the socio-economic classes of London and what roads they live on. And I think this kind of like dire poverty or criminal poverty is like the, the bottom class. Yeah. And it goes all the way up to the aristocracy and whatever. And, and it's utterly fascinating. And what you really get a sense from that is how quite literally you could turn two or three streets in London and go from the criminal class to, to doctors. You know, yes, there were concentrations in the East End of, uh, of poorer people, but actually London was this uh, microcosm of economic classes living cheek by jowl. It's utterly fascinating. I know, that's utterly Charles Booth's so. poverty maps, which are now available online. We can uh, post a link. Look at you. Anybody think we had this scripted? <laughs> I just set it up for you and you knocked it out of the park. Well done, you. Now, folks, that's just about us done for for this episode. But don't forget, we are on Facebook and we are on Twitter. And we need you to go on to mapcorner.space to join in with the show. Quite simply, to get your voice on on the show, you go on to mapcorner.space 
and hit that tab and ask a question tell us about your favorite map or geographic anomaly or just whatever anything to do with the world of maps mapping flags cartography whatever the heck go on to mapcorner.space that's me i'm just about run out of things to say uh claire um have you got anything that you'd like to add i just want to put a call in uh to say i well there's so many on the map corner hashtag uh, that i like but uh, mm-hmm. a special mention for one of the most entertaining ones which was from ben johnson who sent a map of english translation of the names of tube stations in oslo uh that's definitely worth a look <laughs> because some of them are really peculiar uh, I'll say no more, but go and have a look. That's good fun. Are we saying that's our map of the week? Could be. Well, there you go. If you've got a better map than our Ben's, why don't you go onto Twitter, post it to either myself or the hashtag Map Corner, and see if you can't knock our Ben off his perch. <laughs> cool. Right. Smashing. There you go. That was all right, wasn't it? I think so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.